going on? Good to see you guys tonight. Uh, I am Alex Gray. Um, if last week was your first week here, it is most likely, I'm guessing, because you were here to check out Passion, who we got to host for like a really amazing night. You saw the video. It was so fun, really incredible experience, and we're very thankful that we came. But if this is your second week here, maybe it is, uh, then you can maybe notice that our normal routine is a, a little bit different. So like, for instance, I, I will admit, I'm Alex, I'm not Dan Watson, I don't have like a really cool accent like he does, which I'm kind of bummed about. But on the flip side, I promise that I'm not gonna make you just raise your hands for like five minutes on end. So maybe that is a perk, I don't know. But regardless, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, we're glad that you're back tonight. And what we're doing tonight is we are just jumping back into our normal series. We've been going through a series in the book of Mark uh, and we're calling it Unfiltered Jesus. So we'll be back in that tonight. Uh, but before we do, I wanna tell you a story. And this story is about uh, a company named Purdue Pharma. And Purdue Pharma is a, a, a pharmaceutical company run by the Sackler brothers. Okay, this is, this is some of them. And in 1995, they released a really effective, incredibly effective, long-lasting painkiller called Oxycontin. And at the beginning, like upon its release, the Sackler brothers, they were, they were like touted as these like saviors of modern medicine. They, they started donating like all of this money super generously across the world to organizations like universities and medical research centers. They were in museums. They had like a, a, their own wing of the Louvre. Like it was crazy. People loved these guys. They were trying to follow in their brother's footsteps, but go by his advice, they said. And they were seen as men who, as he put it, wanted to leave the world better than the way they entered it. And at first, Oxycontin, it was super successful. It was really, really successful at what it did. But then, then the, the death rate of overdoses with painkillers, it just started to skyrocket. And so people started asking, okay, Wait, what is Oxycontin? Okay, why are, why are doctors just prescribing it so readily, so quickly? And what they found was, when people started digging, what they found was that Oxycontin, its main ingredient is oxycodone. And that, that is almost twice as, up to twice as powerful as morphine, which is a different kind of painkiller. And it is highly, highly addictive. But, but, Purdue Pharma, what they had been doing is they had been paying doctors and execs to say that this drug was virtually non-addictive. In 1997, there's a document that shows one of the marketing execs, his name was Michael Friedman, and in this document, it tells a, a, Sackler, a Sackler brother this. This is what he says to him. We are well aware of the view held by many physicians that oxycodone is weaker, weaker than morphine. I do not plan to do anything about that. Fast forward to today, and Purdue Pharma, it, it, it has pled guilty in two different federal court cases. It's got a ton of thousands of lawsuits against it, and it's really facing like a bankrupt, bankruptcy settlement right now. The opioid epidemic, it, it has claimed the lives of over 500,000 people, and Oxycontin has had a huge role in that. It's awful, it's been awful. 
And I don't know about you, when I, when I hear stories like that, when I see things happen like that, it, honestly, it makes me kind of furious. Like, I get really angry really quick. And I think, I think a lot of us do. Because what it means is that a company is getting away with deceiving people. Like, a company is saying that it values lives, that it has a heart for medical progress. But underneath it all, what they're really doing is they're hiding the truth. They are selling a product that they know has serious, serious risks. And that, that kind of stuff, it makes us mad. I think it makes a lot of us mad. We, we hate instinctively. We just kind of hate when people's words don't really reflect their values, their beliefs, their, their heart. And we're pretty quick to sniff it out, right? Like, we can notice it very quickly. At least I do. In my life, for, for better or for worse, I'm super quick to notice when people's words and their heart don't line up, when there's a disconnect between those two. It's really easy for me to notice that in other people. But you know, you know what's a little bit harder? Okay, a lot harder for me to notice. What's harder for me to notice is when my words and my heart, when those don't match up, when there's a, dis, a disconnect between my words and what I believe. So, like, here's an example. And honestly, this is embarrassing how long it took me to think of this example. But I think it makes the point that it's really hard for me to notice this in myself. But, okay, so I meet with college students fairly often. And, and a lot of the time when I do, we end up talking about, like, a conflict that they are having with a roommate or a friend or a family member. I don't know. Whoever it is, every time we talk about these things, my response is I encourage the person to go talk to that other person. Like, go, go to them and tell them this. Start working this conflict out between the two of you. And I say, conflict resolution, it's so valuable, I tell them. Like, it's gonna make the relationship stronger. I really, honestly believe that, right? It, it's gonna make things better. Just go talk to them. Move into it. Move through it. But then last week, okay, last week, I get a text from a friend. And, and she says that she wants to talk about something. And I don't know, maybe it's a conflict, maybe it's not, but you know what I did? This is, I hate admitting this, but I avoided it. Like I, I gave her a legitimate reason, but honestly still an excuse for why I didn't have time to do that with her this week. I couldn't talk through it. See, I say that I value, this is, this is my example, I say that I value conflict resolution, that I wanna move into it, but then my heart it fears what she might bring up. It, it fears what I might have to face. See, my words don't always reflect my heart. Okay, not to, not to like flip this on you, but I, I don't think this is just like a me and the Sackler brother thing, right? Like, I, think, I think there's a chance that a lot of us, we are prone to saying things that don't quite align, don't reflect what we believe, our heart behind things. Like, we, we have friends who we say, hey, we will be there for you. When you need something, we got you. But right now, we've got a friend that, I man, she's going through it, and we just don't have time to be there for her. We can't do it. Or maybe, maybe we say that we want to, like, pull back on drinking. We, we want to stop drinking so much or stop completely. But then Friday rolls around, and we're at the same house. We're at the same bar. We're with the same people. And honestly, we kind of know what's going to happen, Right? Or maybe we say that we try to be honest people. We want to be honest people. We really do. But when it's crunch time, 
And when we think that we have really bad teachers, then we start justifying going on the internet and, and finding our test answers there, even though technically we know it's cheating, we know it's lying. I don't know, I think there are ways where we are all prone to say things that don't really reflect our heart. So tonight, we're gonna, be, we're gonna be back in Mark, like I said, we're gonna be in Mark 7. And just to set the context for this story, in the story, we're gonna run into a religious group called the Pharisees, just like we did a couple weeks ago in Mark 3, if you were here. And these Pharisees, they are known for saying that they love God. But here in Mark tonight, what we're going to see is there is a disconnect between their words and their heart. Okay, so we're going to jump in. What we're going to do is we're just going to read Mark 7. We're going to start at verse 1, go through verse 5, just to begin. Okay, here's what it says. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. We're going to come back to that in just a second. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Okay, there was a lot there. We could unpack a lot of that, and there's not much time, so I just want to make sure that on a base level, we kind of understand what's happening in these verses. In the Old Testament, God gives a, a set of commands that are called purity laws. In purity laws, what they, they do a lot of things, but one of the things that they do is they remind people that God is holy and he is pure. It, holy, it means just set apart. It means sacred. And so God, by his nature, is separate from, is set apart from all that is unholy, all that is unclean, defiled, impure. And so purity laws, what they do is they, they act as a, like a symbolic way of people coming to God in his presence, pure and clean. Okay, so these Pharisees, they, they have this tendency. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you were here, you remember the Pharisees, what they do is they have this tendency of taking God's commands, so like the purity commands, they take God's commands and then they start piling on their own rules. They add rules to it. That's what it talked about in, in verse three when it talked about the tradition of the elders. Those aren't in the Bible. Those aren't God's commands. Those are those are rules that the Pharisees have made and then expect people to follow. And one of those rules is about washing your hands before you eat. Now, okay, to, like today, we would say, like I think it's we're all agreed that washing your hands before you eat, that's a, that's a good habit, right? That's smart. We should do that. It's a good habit, but the Pharisees, they take it a step further. They don't say it's just a good thing. They say it's a moral thing. So, so they say that you are defiled. You are unclean in God's presence unless you wash your hands before eating. So, so what they do is they see the disciples not washing their hands. So they confront Jesus, and we're going to get back into it. Here's what Jesus says to the Pharisees in response. Well did Isaiah. Okay, so Isaiah, he is a prophet in 
let's say 700-ish BC. He's like a spokesperson for God. And what Jesus is doing here is he's paraphrasing something that Isaiah said in chapter 9 of Isaiah, okay? Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far. Ouch. It's kind of intense, right? He's saying the Pharisees. The Pharisees are people who say that they love God. They say that they live for God, give him glory, give him praise, give him honor. But really deep down, their hearts are far away. They're living for themselves. They want to give the glory and honor and praise to themselves. And what he says, Jesus, he says, that's hypocrisy. He calls it for what it is. That is hypocrisy. The word hypocrite, uh, you may know this. Maybe I didn't know this. The word hypocrite, it comes from a Greek word that just means like actor, stage player. Okay? So in Greek theater, there weren't a ton of actors. And so what they would do is they'd play a lot of different roles. And the way that they would distinguish those roles, you can see it, they have, they've got these creepy masks. And what they would do is they would move from character to character and just put on different masks. Okay, they're this guy and then they're, then this guy, you get it, okay? So what they're doing, like any actors, is they are playing a role. They're, they're just pretending to be somebody that they're not. Jesus looks at them and goes, that's you. You are hypocrites, you are actors. You say that you love God, but it's a show. It's a really good performance, but it's not real. You're just playing a part. He looks at him and he says, it's hypocrisy. In, in a book called uh, The Great Dechurching, which is, oh, that's blurry, bummer. It doesn't matter. It's a good book. And in it, research has recently shown that 40 million people, 40 million people in the States over the last 25 years have left the church. So maybe not Christianity, right? But they have left the church. They're not a part of a church. 40 million people. That's a lot of people. That makes me super sad. And there are lots of reasons for that. But you know what a lot of these people had in common? They, they were done with the hypocrisy of it all. They, they were done being in a place where people said that they loved Jesus, but they didn't show it. People praised God praised Jesus with their lips, but their hearts were far away. I, I would guess, I would guess that there are some of you in this room tonight who are almost done with the hypocrisy too. Like maybe you've been hurt by the church. I don't know, maybe, maybe you have heard that Jesus loves everybody, but you have felt pushed out of a church because of your sexuality. I, maybe you've seen a, a church scandal get covered up. Or maybe you had a secret that you told someone something deep, vulnerable, that you told somebody in confidence just to watch it get spread around. I don't know. If, if that has happened to you, if you have experienced hypocrisy it, it, from people who have said that they love Jesus but do not show it, I just want to tell you I'm, I'm so sorry. Like the church, it's going to be a messy place. And, and unfortunately, people will sin against each other, but it shouldn't be that way. Those things, they shouldn't have happened to you, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really glad that you're here tonight. And I, I hope that you stick around. Because Jesus, he is not okay with 
hypocrisy. He's not. Okay, look, look, look back. We're going to go back to Mark 7, and we're going to jump back in at verse 14. This is what Jesus says. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jump down to 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Matthew, he, he writes his own account of the gospel story, and I think he puts a fine point on it. I like how he tells this same story. This is what he says in 15 verse 8. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth. See, Jesus, he is essentially looking at these Pharisees, and he's saying, wake up. Like, like come on, you think that eating food with grimy hands, that that's going to defile you? No way. No, no, no. No, the thing that will defile you is what is coming out of your heart. It's what's going on in your heart right now. You say that you love God, sure, sure, but, but that's not what's happening in your heart. Your heart is far. There is a disconnect between their words and their heart. So here's my question. I want us to think about this for a second. Okay, think about your words. Like, I know that's kind of overwhelming, right? We talk constantly. We're talking to roommates. We're talking to people at our job, in classes, to our friends. Like, we sleep talk. It's all over the place, right? But, but think about, just for a minute, do a quick audit of some of the things that you have said today. Like, really do that. I'm going to give you a second, okay? Think on that. What have you said today? Here's my question for you. Do your words, do they reflect your heart for Jesus? Do the words that you are using reflect a, a heart for, a, a love for Jesus? Or is there a disconnect between those two things? Like, there's a disconnect if we say that we love Jesus, we say we want to live for him, put him first, but then really... In our hearts, we're just playing a role, but we're really living for ourselves. That's a disconnect. But there's also a disconnect if on the flip side, we really do love Jesus. We really want to follow him, but our words, they tell a different story. I think a lot of you in here, I believe a lot of you in here love Jesus. You, you want a relationship with him. You want to live for him, but the words that you speak, the way that you speak, doesn't always show that. Doesn't always show that. Do your words, do they reflect, do our words, I'm putting myself in this too, I promise, do our words reflect a heart for Jesus or is there a disconnect somewhere? My guess is, my guess, if I had to guess, I would say yeah, definitely. Yep, there is a disconnect for all of us, myself included, for sure. Because even though we are following Jesus, if, if we are actively following Jesus, we're still going to have to fight sin in our life. And so our words are still going to fail to reflect our love for him. It's going to happen in a whole mess of ways. But I think one of the big ways that this happens is in the way that we talk to and about other people. 
James, uh, he was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, he, I, he, I like how he says it. He puts it pretty well. It's kind of intense. But this is how he puts it in his letter in chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly passion. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this, this, these things should not, ought not to be so. James, it looks like, is kind of on the same page as Jesus, right? He, he's calling us out a bit for using our words to bless God, to say that we love him, and then turn around and talk bad on other people, the people that he has created. Like, we can see how messed up that is, can't we? Don't we? Like, we say that we are for God, that we live for him, that we love him, but then, but then the way we talk about other people is unkind to the people that he has made and loves. James says there's a big issue with that. Like, it can't be like that. It cannot be that way. Paul David Tripp, he, he's an author. Uh, and in a book that he wrote called War of Words, it's a great book. He, incidentally, this is so off topic. He also has a really great mustache. If you've ever seen him, this is very irrelevant. But maybe one of the best mustaches I've ever seen. Anyway, the book that he wrote, War of Words, it has this tiny little line that I love. It's super simple. It's word problems reveal heart problems. Very simple, right? But it's kind of deep. Word problems reveal heart problems. Okay, so what are our word problems? Like, what are the problems that we have with the ways that we speak about and to other people? I don't know. Is it, is it sarcasm? Like, is it you putting other people down with the way that you talk to just make yourself feel a little bit better, a little bit bigger, just for a minute? Or maybe, maybe it is gossip. Like, you know something about a friend that you know that you should not tell, but you're going to do it anyway just to be the center of attention for, for just a minute. Or is it, I don't know, making light of someone's sin? You're kind of minimizing someone else's sin just to kind of see what you can get away with. To just see what kind of lines that you can start crossing. For me, I hate that this is true of me, but for me, it is being critical. Like, I'm very quick to notice what people are doing wrong and then immediately tell them. Like, it is, there's no filter. I cannot, I, I gotta work on it, but it is a bad habit. I am so critical of what I think people are doing wrong. Or I, I don't know, maybe it's just making fun of people, making jokes about people when they're not in the room so that you can get a laugh. I'm not really sure. I don't know what our particular word problems are, but if, if word problems reveal heart problems, then I think it's worth asking, what do your words, what do my words, what do our words reveal about our heart? And what do, what do we maybe need to change in order for our words to reflect Jesus, our, our heart for him, our love for him? Our words, they, they should be an outpouring, like an overflow of the things that we believe. They should be an outpouring of our heart. I'm, I'm going to pause for a second because I know, I realize that what I have just done 
is kind of stay really down in the trenches for a long time tonight. I have told us a lot about what we cannot do, what we should not be doing, the disconnect between our words in our heart. So if you're sitting here and you're just kind of discouraged, like if you feel like kind of stuck and, and you don't really know where to go with this, or if you feel like I, you don't even know if you have or want a heart for Jesus, if any of that is the case, then just give me a minute. Just give me a couple more seconds. Because Jesus, he, he's very serious about our words. You saw the way that he talked to the Pharisees. He's very serious about it, but it's because he deeply, deeply cares about our hearts. And so here's what I want us to remember tonight. Here's what I want us to walk away with. If you're following Jesus, if you're actively trying to follow Jesus, to have a relationship with him, then he does not leave us to deal with this on our own. He doesn't. If you're actively trying to follow Jesus, there is good news for you, and that is that he has given you a new heart. And here's the, here's the kicker. That heart is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Like, it is indwelled by God. It is indwelled by God. So I know, I get, that if you're like me, my default is when I hear about a problem, I just want to understand the problem. I want to know how to fix the problem, and then I want my step-by-step -step plan of how to get rid of the problem. And so if you wanted, I could stand up here for like another 10, 15 minutes, and I could give you some pointers on what it looks like to use our words well. I could talk about how to make our words reflect our heart, but here's what I really want to do instead. I just want to remind us that the Holy Spirit, if we're, if we're following Jesus, the Holy Spirit is actively working within us. Like he is the one. He is the power. He has the ability to transform our hearts. And he's doing that in us. And so as the music team comes back up, here's what I want to do. I just want to take a minute to, to like acknowledge the Holy Spirit's presence here. And I don't know if you do that very often. I'm not quick to do this. I don't know if you've done it in a while, but I just want us to take a second and really recognize that the Holy Spirit is here and he is working. Okay, so here's, here's what you got to do. Just close your eyes for a second. Just close your eyes and, and get your body into like a posture that is relaxed and focused. Maybe just take a deep breath and realize that the Holy Spirit is here. He is present. He is within you and with you. He is growing your love for Jesus right now. He shapes your thoughts day by day. He gives you words to speak. He is the one who is actively working. The Holy Spirit has power and he is transforming you and me. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray to him that he would be working. Holy Spirit, we, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for dwelling with your people. We thank you for the heart that you have promised us, the, the work that you promised to do in it. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be growing our love for Jesus, not just in word, but in our hearts. 
Give us words for other people that encourage them and build them up. Give them comfort. Give them support. Holy Spirit, we, we pray that you give us patience. We pray that you give us grace as we fail, as we know we will in this. But remind us that you are working, that you are transforming us day by day to be more and more like Jesus. Jesus, we, we, we pray to you all of these things. Amen.